So I've been waiting for days like this that literally you can tell when the door opens because this fresh air just like sweeps across. I am loving, absolutely loving this weather. I hope you are too. If you're not, I don't understand you. Um, so let me start off this morning with a little, bit, a little bit of a disclaimer. So our default or our normal, um, when it comes to teaching, when you come here and um, what you can expect from us on teaching is that our normal is that we teach through books of the Bible. So this is, you, you can expect us to go through books, chapters, verses, just together. This is our, this is our normal. We do this uh, for several reasons. I want to give you a couple. Uh, one is we believe it gives our church balance. Uh, balance, which this is important because we are going to cover a, a massive variety of topics as we journey through the scriptures together. And what we believe is going to happen is the scriptures will actually drive us to a healthy place. It's going to push us to not be what I call a hobby horse church, which is we focus on some things, but we don't focus on others, which I have that tendency in myself to be passionate about other things and not... If we are simply walking through the scriptures together, what it's going to do is it's going to drive us to a place of, of balance and where we can be faithful. Number two, we believe that it teaches us to rely on and it teaches us to open our scriptures on an individual level. Meaning that if, as we get together and all we do is, is open this and, and uh, we walk through it together, that what it's going to do is over time it's going to begin to teach us how to open this on our own, uh, to teach us the beauty of this. And we believe that, that well, think about it, uh, our church, it's been, uh, it's been in existence for about seven months, so at eight months, though, we will have gone through uh, the book of James completely. We've walked through several Psalms, and we would have also have walked through the entire book of Ephesians together. And so we believe over time, as we do this, that it is going to make us be more comfortable with this on our own and together. And it's important for us. Number three, this one's obvious, is we believe this is the word of God. When I say that, I mean the words of men will come and go. Um, you're not going to remember the things that I say. Hopefully you will for a little bit, but I'm talking long term, that the words of men will eventually fade, but this won't. And so we stand on this, we proclaim this, we trust this, and um, like I said, one of the great things about doing this is that we're going uh, to address topics that come up in the scriptures that maybe I wouldn't have chosen. Uh, sometimes the topics might be heavy or more weighty or more, um, well, timely. Let me be honest. As a teacher, there are going to be times that I look at what the Word of God says and I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Church, this is one of those mornings. This is one of those mornings that, um, and by the way, this is good. For our growth and our maturity, this is good. This is exactly what we need to be talking about together as a church. So here's the disclaimer. Uh, this morning will be one of those tough, timely, and heavy topics. And for those uh, who, who have children in the room, uh, we're going to be talking today about what we just read in, in Ephesians 5, the first couple of verses, and we're going to be looking at dealing with sexual sins and addictions and 
Okay, let me make a promise. I'm not going to be explicit up here, okay? A promise. I'm not going to, to do that. But um, this will be one of those more direct and weighty mornings. So as a parent, I just want to encourage you, have wisdom on that. Um, so let's dive in. I want to start by giving a little context this morning because this morning, more than most mornings, context is going to make a big difference for us to see. So uh, as we talked about before, this letter, Ephesians, was written to a church a long, long time ago in a city called Ephesus. So it was written, written to the church in Ephesus. Uh, it's an ancient city, and for a moment, I want to paint a picture for you of what this church was like. It's important for us to see this. So this church was a, or this city, not the church, was a notoriously sinful port city in the ancient world. It was the fourth largest city and it was the first city, the most prominent, the biggest, most influential, most important commercial city in the world. Uh, it was a port city. At this city, it, they had a prominent god. The, the temple for this goddess was actually there in Ephesus. The, te- the goddess was Diana. This is important because this, to worship this goddess, let me give you a practice that they would use to worship this goddess. It was cult prostitution which means they would have prostitutes in the temple and a way that you worship this goddess was through engaging in that with the prostitutes in the temple. And that was an act of worship. Uh, It's been said about this city, as you read history, that prostitution was a normal aspect of life. That's our city. That's Ephesus. That's, That's what this... That's who Paul was writing to. So in this city, sexual exploration and perversion was not only accepted, but it was exalted. It was exalted. Um, sexual, se- sensuality of all kinds was, was prominent. It was, it, was, it was easily accessible. Okay? Um, Paul is writing, again, remember, to the church to the church, to the Christians who live in this context, who are living in this city. Um, He's writing to the church in this great, he's not writing to the lost people in this great city. He's writing to the church in this great city. And this is, again, going to be very important for us. And so Paul writes to the church who are living in this sexually perverse um, culture. And he says, therefore, be imitators of God, verse 1, and beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. So Paul here calls out sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. And so, first of all, let me make one clarification. Sex is not evil. Amen? That was, I was expecting more from that, but you know... (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. Sex is not evil. Paul is not saying sex is evil. In fact, sex is designed by God for our fulfillment, for our enjoyment. It's to be beautiful, enjoyed within marriage. It's beautiful. Sex is not the problem. What Paul is addressing here is the counterfeit. It's the counterfeit to this. Paul is addressing the evil perversion of the beautiful gift of God. We're going to talk about that. 
He says sexual immorality, which is a broad term that uh, just encapsulating all kinds of sexual sinfulness, all impurity, which is an even more broad term that expands it even more, uh, broadens the scope of sexual sinfulness, and then covetousness, which is meaning you're longing for something or someone that is not yours to have. So Paul calls these out, and he looks out over this church, and he says, church, let these things not be named among you. I know they're common in your city. I know they're common in your culture, but you are called out and let these things not characterize you. That's what Paul is saying. He brings it down even more to our speech or to their speech, filthiness, foolishness, crude talk. And he says, all of these things are out of place. Instead, let your language express thankfulness, meaning that your words, your language are to bless, to express thankfulness to God, not to promote filth or crude or foolishness. Um, to bring down the body. So, you following me? No. Um, Before we go further in this text, what I'd like to do is bring this from a them to an us. To bring it from a quote-unquote then to a now. Because I think this is going to be important. I had a seminary professor uh, in one of my preaching classes that would always tell me that you need to be a, a student of the word and of the world. And what he meant by that is is that it is important to be able to honestly look and assess yourself and our culture so that we can apply God's word to it. Um, And so for a moment, I want us to consider our own culture, our own culture. We are in the middle of a sexual epidemic in our culture. We are a sexually driven culture. it's nearly impossible to avoid the impacts of it as you just live in this world. It's nearly impossible. Um, It's not that we're more corrupt than the people that came before us, because that's not it. It's not that we are more prone to sexual sin than the people 100 years ago. That's not it. However, sex has never been more accessible than it is for us today. It's never been as accessible. If you are in your 20s or younger... In this room, if you are in your 20s or younger, you have grown up with a window to sexual addiction in your pocket. It's, it's, this, it's this window to any image, any video, anything you want on demand, high speed, and in secret. It's in your pocket. It's this, this window to all kinds. And so what has this done? What has this done? Uh, Remember, Paul's writing to the church, addressing Christians, so I thought it would be important for us to look at specifically what it's done in the church. Um, There's a lot of statistics done on this. A recent one, the most recent one I found was in 2014, the Barna Research Group uh, conducted a study where they they wanted to gather uh, research showing the impacts of, of sexual sin and pornography on Christians. Okay, so this is within the church. Uh, most of these surveyed, um, in fact, all of the stats that I pulled uh, deal primarily with men. Uh, so that the study revealed, uh, these stats just blow my mind, 77% of men from the age of 18 through 30 admit to looking at pornography at least monthly. Uh, if you're older than that and you're like, well, I got off the hook, well, the st- The stats don't go down that much. 
So for, for men that are, are 31 uh, to mid-50s, it goes to 64%. Let's say that they have looked at least monthly that they, that they look. Um, 32% of Christian men from the age of 18 through 30 admit to being addicted to pornography. And another 12% say that they might be addicted. I'm guessing if you think you might be, probably are. Um, the stats, again, go down a little bit, but not much. 18% of Christian men from the ages of 31 through mid-50s say that they are addicted. Another 8% say that they might be. You've got to ask your question, what, what about married men? What about in marriages? Does that make it better? Well, Barna's study says that 55% of married men admit to looking at pornography at least on a monthly basis. An alarming 35% admit to having um, thoughts or have moved toward an extramarital affair. <sighs> that is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and this stat, again, was done for those among the church. Now, what about outside of the church? So that we have some uh, secular psychologists now, scientists who are now beginning to release some really powerful studies that, that research about the effects of pornography on our brains. Um, now, I'm no scientist, and I don't pretend to be one, uh, but according to the research, the effects of pornography are beginning to change our brains, leading to depression, loneliness, uh, leading to relational dysfunction and sexual dysfunction, all coming because of this addiction. There are apps in uh, the App Store on any phone. There's one that I think is called Brain Buddy, not done by the church in any way, not religious in any way, from the secular world saying, there are terrible effects of pornography and we've got to stop it. Not even coming from in the church, but again, coming from outside of the church. Um, these studies, uh, they, they hooked people up to brain scanners while they were watching pornography. And what they showed is that there's this chemical called dopamine that's released in a very high quantity. And I know this is getting technical, but follow me. Um, it's the same chemical that's released when you use hard drugs, Dopamine, same chemical, highly addicted, uh, addictive. And so some of you may be here and you're wondering, why can't I just stop? This is why. It is highly addictive, highly addictive. Here's the difference, though. With drug addiction, the drugs cost money. They're hard to get. And there's a limit. Uh, they wear off. They don't, their effects don't last long. Well, with pornography, um, the drug is free. Uh, you can, it takes no effort to get it, and you can literally have unlimited access to whenever you want it. Constant. I read an article that says, think about it, the average pornography addict sees more sexual stimuli in one day than our ancestors would experience in a lifetime. I put it in perspective for me. Um, this is, it's unlimited access. And so as followers of Jesus, we hear these results, we hear this science, and we say amen, right? Like, amen. We agree with this. We, we know this stuff. We see it theologically. We see it scripturally. Um, sexual per perversion is wreaking havoc on our culture. Let me give you one more example before we move on. Um, 
There is, several months ago, a hacker successfully hacked a, a website, the database of a website called Ashley Madison. Um, Ashley Madison is a social networking site that was founded and exists in order to connect married individuals with other married individuals so that they can have an extramarital affair. Um, subtle, right? Uh, their, their tagline is, life is too short, have an affair. Again, super subtle. Uh, some of you, including me, thought, surely this can't be a successful business. Surely this cannot be prominent in our culture, right? Well, wrong. Um, seeing that it's so blatantly wrong, Ashley Madison has 39 million registered members. 39 million registered members. Let me, the entire state of Texas has a population of 27 million. So Ashley Madison has 12 mil, million more members than Texas has residents. Ugh. A couple clicks of a mouse and credit card information, we're able to find someone who's willing to have sexual intercourse outside of your marriage. That's what this is. It's unbelievable. And so when Ashley Madison was hacked, a hacker got 30 million of these, uh, these members and released their information to the world. So in essence, 30 million people were outed. Their sin was just put out, easy to find, easy to access. Um, in the wake of this, over 400 pastors have resigned. In the wake of this, seminary professors have resigned. In the wake of this, there has been multiple suicides as this sin has been shown and has been released to, to the world. Um, church, let me read the words of Paul again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. As it is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And listen to this, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, my point this morning is not to depress you. Paul's point was not to bring a wave of depression on this church as they read this letter. His point was to shine light. His point was to shine light. Paul is saying, church, I know what your culture is selling you, but don't buy it. And for us, we know what our culture is selling us. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. So Paul says that the sexual and moral and pure have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And my question is, what? How could that be? It, could Paul really mean that? Um. Well, Paul seems to repeat himself in this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Galatians 5, 2, he says the exact same thing. In each of these passages, Paul says explicitly that the sexual and moral will have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So what does Paul mean here? 
So there's a couple of clarifications that I want to lay out before we answer that question. Number one, here's the first clarification, is your sexual sin is not too big for the cross of Christ. Your sexual sin is not too big for the cross of Christ, no, no matter the extent, the addiction, no matter your past, no matter your present, the cross of Christ is big enough to handle your sin. Um, there is forgiveness and restoration in Christ. When you come to God and realize that you're a child of God, realize that, he, that, that God loves you and that your standing before him is secure, when you realize that you were once dead, but now you're alive, that you were chosen by God for adoption, that he purchased you, that he redeemed you. And church, hear me, your sins are completely and perfectly forgiven in him. When you realize that, you realize that the good news is that the love of God, the work of Christ, the power of the Spirit are bigger than you and your sin. They're bigger than you, and they're bigger than your, your sin, meaning your sexual sin is not too big for the cross of Christ. The, the second clarification, though, is your identity in Christ is that you are a child of God. Now, let me unpack that. Um, not only is your sexual sin not too big for the cross of Christ, but your new identity in Christ is not adulterer or addict or sexually immoral. That was that might have been your old identity, identity, but it's not your new one. In Christ, that is not yours because your identity is that you're a child of God and you can't buy the lies that the enemy feeds you that you are simply an addict struggling along. No, you are a child of Christ. The enemy would want nothing more than for you to simply accept the fact that you're stuck and powerless. That's not your identity. That's not your identity. Uh, you may be a child of God that battles with temptation. You may be a child of God that, that battles sexual sin, but your identity remains child of God. So what then is Paul saying? When Paul is call, what Paul is calling out in this passage and in the other passages that are like this are those who are continually, habitually walking in se uh, sexual sinfulness, who are following after the culture, unrepentant, unmoved, and boldly go. That is who he's calling out. Paul says, that is not a characteristic of someone who's made, been made new in Christ. That is describing a person who has rejected Christ. And as such, that person is not someone who will have an inheritance in Christ. So don't let the enemy use this to think that your sexual sin is too big because that defeats the purpose that Jesus came to fulfill on the cross. You are a child of God, and that is not, all of that other stuff is not your identity. You are made new in Christ. Now, uh, you may disagree with me on this, but I truly believe that this attack is the most prominent, the greatest attack on the church in America today. And if you don't agree with me, fine. No, you have to at least admit that this is one of the greatest, right? That this is where we are. Unfortunately, though, this is one of the most taboo things to talk about in the church. It doesn't get a lot of stage time. It's, uh, in many ways, it's a sickness that's killing us from the inside out while we're refusing to talk about it. We think, oh, that won't be me, that won't be my kids. Um, we think that, you know, 
This won't affect us, or if it does, it'll just affect me in silence. Let's not talk about it because it's super uncomfortable. This is kind of the mindset that I think we've taken into, into the church, um, and this can't be our response. It's like high blood pressure. Um, high blood pressure is called the silent killer because for years it can just be operating under your skin, leaving no effects leaving no effects, but under the skin, it is killing you literally from the inside out silently. Um, our, our response to high blood pressure cannot be, I'll ignore it and suffer in silence. It will kill you. It will kill you. You know, you act, um, you get it in control. Sickness in silence leads to death and it can't be an option. And so it's time to look in and to turn the light on to turn the light on. Um, and one more thing before we continue on in this text is this isn't a problem, again, that exists out there. It's a problem that exists in here and in here. It's our problem. It is our problem. And this problem loves to exist in the darkness. It thrives in the darkness and it thrives in secret. And that's why this next part is really, really powerful. Look at verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Listen, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He says, take no part in the works of the dark. What do we do? Expose them. It says, the things that are done in secret are shameful, but when the light is turned on, it becomes visible. Now, the question I have is, why on earth do we need to turn the light on on that mess? It's ugly. It's gross. Why turn on the light? Why do we, wouldn't it be better to conceal what is ugly? Paul seems to be telling us to turn on the light on our ugly. Why would we do this? For some of us, it makes us cringe, if we're honest, to even think about this. Hear me. Here's, here's why. Because when we turn on the light, the light removes its power. When the light gets turned on, the light removes its power. It removes its power, and this is huge because this sin thrives in the darkness. It grows in the darkness. It develops and gets stronger. But when the light comes on, its power is removed. Paul is saying, turn on the light. We are light in the Lord. We are children of the light. And what does verse 14 says? It says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you. In, in John 8, 12, you don't have to turn here, but it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And Christ sheds light on the darkness in our lives. And this is huge. Think of it like this we're not left to figure out how to not be dark. 
Like we're not in the dark and then someone tells us, hey, stop being dark. We're in the dark and say, here's the light. That's totally, totally different. Um, it's not like you, you know that feeling when you're in a really dark place and your eyes haven't adjusted and you're kind of doing this number to try not to hit anything? And if you're a parent, you get a Lego right in the foot every time for some reason. Uh, in this, it's not like that. It's not like we have to feel our way blindly around. It says that we're children of light. And Paul says that we are the light. And it's kind of like the same way the moon is light, right? The, the, the moon gives no light of its own, but it's a reflection of its true light source. That's kind of us, that we are... Christ illuminates the darkness, and he does it through us. And so I want us to kind of land on, on this. Um, how does Christ illuminate the darkness? He does it in three ways that I want us to go through. Uh, and before we do, my goal here is not for a, um, if you've grown up in church, you'll know what I mean, a youth camp moment. A youth camp moment is, is those, if you've grown up in church, you've been here. Where, where you feel the conviction, and you're like, I'm going to just own this, and it's done. And you just go to the altar, you're crying, and it's wonderful, and God does something into, in you. And you walk away thinking, I mean, I did, where, all right, dealt with it, it's done. I'm moving on, new life, new self, and I'm done. And then like two weeks happen, and you realize, it's a constant struggle, it's a constant battle. Um, I'm not talking about a youth camp moment this morning. Uh, what I am talking about is that this is going to be an ongoing war against your flesh. It will be ongoing. This is our battle. It will be ongoing. But my point is, is that the truth of Christ says that you're able to walk in freedom long term, even in the midst of the battle. You don't walk out of here with the battle being done. You just walk out of here knowing that you can do it and you can fight it through Christ. And so by the grace of God, um, we get to walk in the light. Um, real lasting, hear me, lasting freedom. Lasting freedom. Um, and honestly, can I say this? I'm tired of this being taboo in our churches. I really am because taboo, quote unquote taboo, is another word for in the dark, if it's taboo, it's like we are clearly not doing what Paul just told us to do, which is shine light. I'm tired of it being taboo because if there's freedom, we're called to walk in the light. And so let's look at three ways that Christ illuminates the darkness. And these are, these are important and they're going to sound very simple. And that's the beauty of them. Um, first, Christ illuminates through the word of God. We talked about this already, but Christ illuminates, Christ speaks through the word of God. Um, okay, not only that, but I want you to, I want you to follow me here. Um, God is, is not just going to show you his rules when you read this. God shows you who he is when you read this. Uh, God shows you, in other words, the message is not walk out of here and go try harder and go stop sinning. Okay, that would be awesome. Go stop. That's not the message. The key is... Walking and experiencing the light, knowing who God is, knowing what he's done, and his love for you, and God reveals that through, to you through the word. In other words, the word shines light, and the light is not morality, it's him. The, this shines light. 
um, on our life because it shows us who Christ is. And so the first application of this is really a no-brainer. Spend time in God's word. Some of you are like, we knew that coming in here. Spend time in God's word. Here's the catch though. Um, I don't want you to spend time in God's word and open this like it as though it was a morality manual. Do this, don't do this. I don't want you to read God's word like that. What I'm talking about is when you read this to find out who God is. When you approach this to find out who are you, when you approach it to see the light. Think of it like this. It's hard to read a manual in the dark. Turn on the light. And the light is when you know who Christ is and when you read this so that we can see him and know him. That's what we do. So we, we turn on the light. Um, it makes no sense to read this as, as like a list of rules if you don't know Jesus and you don't know who he is. And so the, the point here is turn on the light and spend time daily in God's word with one agenda. To know God better. To know God better, to better see the light. And remember in verse four, uh, Paul says, let there be no filthiness, foolishness, crude talking, which are out of place, but instead thanksgiving. Uh, You'll be amazed at how much thanksgiving flows out of your heart and your life. You will be amazed um, when you experience who God is through his word. You'll be amazed at how much just pours out. And so first Christ illuminates through his word. Uh, The second way, though, is Christ illuminates um, through the Spirit of God. Again, you're like, well, this was obvious. That's the point. Um, Through the Spirit of God. As I mentioned earlier, um, we're in a war, an ongoing war with our flesh. It's ongoing. So we looked at the research that the secular science did, and for some of it, we're like, yes, amen. But it was incomplete. It was very incomplete because Later in Ephesians, Paul's going to address this in full, but he tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but that our battle is, is, is not just physical, neurological, psychological, but it is deeply spiritual. That our battle is a spiritual battle, and, and Paul is going to reveal how we can go to battle in chapter 6. We're going to get there when he talks about the armor of God. Um. But here's the reality, that your battle against darkness, your battle against sexual addiction, your battle against sexual sin is spiritual. Don't separate the two. It is, it is spiritual. Praise God, though, that he's given us his spirit. Praise God, though, that we're not defenseless. Praise God that for the spirit of God that illuminates our minds, strengthens us, gives us a power that is beyond us, the power to endure. Um. My point is this, is that you're not a defeated victim because greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we do not walk around with a defeated victim mindset. Greater is he that is in us. Um, The New Testament tells us all the time, walk in the spirit. And this is not theoretical. This is not this pie in the sky idea that someday we'll walk in the spirit and ah, float. That's not what it is. This is a real and and tangible idea that God meant it when he said it. 
that we are to walk in the Spirit, and, and we're not alone, that we have the Spirit of God in us. And so here's the application for this one. Again, you're going to go, duh. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. Again, simple but powerful, because if our war is not physical but spiritual, how foolish are we to try to fight it with physical things? You follow me? Like if our war is spiritual and we have a physical like sword, we're not going to do much with that. But if our war is spiritual, then what is our weapon? Prayer. Prayer. Um, that we stop and that we, that we rely on the Spirit of God through prayer and we walk as the Spirit of God has called us to walk. And this is huge because when you're feeling temptation... When you feel the struggle, when you feel it rising up, that darkness, when maybe you have fallen into it, when you feel that heaviness that comes with that, here's the cue, prayer. It's time to pray because chances are you're pretty beat up by that point. You probably can't do it on your own ability. Pray. Let this be the cue to pray. And in doing so, you rely on a power, a strength that's beyond yourself. And so Christ illuminates the darkness through the word of God, through the spirit of God. Lastly, Christ illuminates the darkness through the people of God. Through the people of of God. So um, remember, our text says that we are the church of the light. Like the moon, we're reflecting the light of Christ and that we are the light. So one of the primary ways, follow me, that God intends to bring light to this church is through your reflective surface. One of the ways that God intends to bring light here is through you. It's through me. That's the way he chooses to shine his light. And if that sinks in, um, you're probably tired of us talking about community so much around here, but this is why. Because we believe that that, that growth in, in our life and spirit is, is found in community. Because God uses that. Ephesians has dealt with this so much already. But this is the way that we grow. Community is crucial because God uses people to shine his light into our lives. And if you seclude yourself, you take yourself away from light bearers, and there's a much greater chance that you're going to be stumbling around, stepping on Legos. But when we're in community, we shine. We shine together. Um, Maybe you're here and you have tried years to get out of the darkness that you find yourself in. And you have weeks, you have days, maybe even months of success, but then the darkness creeps back and many of you have been here. Um, One of the most effective ways to see freedom, true freedom in your life is to do what Paul just told us to do. Expose it. Expose it. we see and experience you know, God through his word and we, we rely on the spirit in prayer and we expose it to trusted people of God in our life. And uh, in most ways, that third step, that's the hard one. That is the hard one, but it's crucial because confession, reflection uh, from one to another is powerful because Christ shines his light through those people. Again, Christ shines his light through those, those people. Um, so here's the application from this. Find people in your life who are followers of Christ, 
who you, you see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. You see them walking in the Spirit. Find those people and find people who are trustworthy. Do not be careless or foolish with this. But find people who are trustworthy, who you see Christ in them, who you see the light of Christ being reflected off of them. Find those people and allow them to shine their light into your life. Allow them to take that light and shine it into some of the dark corners so that those hidden things are exposed, so that they see into the things that you are struggling with. This is painful. Or at least that's what the enemy wants to tell you. But healing is found in this. Um, For those of you who have been struggling for years, with, with something you cannot get it away. Um, this could be the thing that God wants to use in your life for you to experience true healing on in a lasting way that this time next year as you're sitting in this room, you can say, I've, I've experienced healing and I no longer struggle. That's found through this. I mean, what? think of it like this. What good does it do us if we pretend and we fake like we're awesome? What good does that do? What... It's like, a, it's like someone who is, is like sinking in a boat in the middle of the water and they don't want to tell anyone that water's like gushing up through the floor. They're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about it. And they're just going, boop, 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 boop. That's kind of what it's like for us to just walk in this, in this, with this mask that we are awesome and that we have it all together when we don't and we're sinking. Because the reality is we all need each other and none of us have it all together. None of us have it all together. So you walk into a room full of people who are all in the same boat. I didn't mean to do that. It's kind of awesome, though. Um, we're all in the same place. We're all in the same boat. And, and you're here right now. Our growth and maturity is halted when we ignore the leaks, when we just ignore them. Um, We are a community of people who are humbly and imperfectly growing in Christ. We all need each other because God has given people the unique ability to shine light into your darkness. And on the flip side of that, God has given you the unique ability to shine light into other people's dark areas. This is a way that we grow and we mature in Christ, and it's the way God has told us to do it. That Christ illuminates through his word, through his spirit, through his people, our applications from this, that we walk out of the room here is, is so simple that we spend time in God's word, not to know more rules, but to know Christ. That we spend time in prayer to know and experience the spirit of God and to trust the spirit that's beyond our strength. And that we spend time in community together that we know and experience the light of Christ as seen, reflected off of other people. And we allow other, people's to, other people to speak into our life and for us to speak into theirs. And again, this is powerful. I want to end with this this morning. You don't have to turn here. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Um, statistically, as I look over this room, the statistics would tell me that several of us are living in uh, sexual sins that are lingering in the dark corners of our life. Statistically, that's what it would tell me. Statistically, uh, statistics would tell me that several of us in this room are facing 
um, both married and single, young and not so young, are, are facing an addiction to pornography. That's what the statistics tell me. Um, statistics tell me that, that many people in this room are facing the temptation to engage in an extramarital affair. That's what the statistics tell me. Whether it be a, a physical or an emotional affair, statistics tell me, I'll put it like this, that there are many of us that are prone to wondering right now. Statistics tell me that there are many people in this room who are single, who are engaging in sexual sin that feel absolutely trapped. Like there is no way out of this. I feel like I'm drowning. That's what statistics would, would tell me. Um, and again, it's not a problem that's limited to gender. Both men and women are here. It's not a problem that is limited to, to age as both young and old are experiencing the same thing. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is important. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You are not helpless to remain trapped. God is faithful and he will provide a way of escape. So I wanted to end by providing you with two resources that you can actually take in your hand and walk out this morning. Um, and my, my hope is, like this verse says, that, that this is providing us with maybe a way of escape, um, especially regarding sexual sins. The first is, is a, you should have a brochure on your chair for something called Covenant Eyes. Um, I have used this software for six years. Uh, my family, my whole family has used this software for six years. Uh, Covenant Eyes is a software that, that for all of your devices, your tablets, your phones, your computers, whatever you have, it's a, it's a software for all of your devices that provides accountability, filters, um, and it sends weekly accountability reports to whoever you tell it to send. Um, so here's the beautiful thing, though. This software has taken the unlimited free access of filth out of my pocket. I just don't have access to it right now. Like, you couldn't if you wanted to on my phone right now. You couldn't do it. Um, this software has taken it away. On, on my computer, this is a funny story. The way they do it is on, on a Mac, on the top of the menu bar, the icon for Covenant Eyes is this little eyeball. <laughs> and when you are connected online, this eyeball literally goes and opens. <laughs> it's like the eye of God, like staring at me, or the eye of Candace, because Candace, my wife, gets all our accountability reports, and it just goes it's amazing. Uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful software. Um, it, it just takes away one of the tools that the enemy could use. That's all it does. This isn't a savior, but it takes away some of the enemy, uh, some, of, some of the tools that the enemy could have, and it puts around me a little hedge of protection, for lack of a better term. Um, here's the here's the deal. I can literally think of no good reason why you should not have this on your phone. I can think of no good reason why all of us don't walk out of here with protection on our devices. If this is what the statistics tell us as a major way of attack, and we're handed this that says, oh, I'll turn it off for you, I can think of no good excuse for us 
to walk out of here and say, nah, I'm good. Um, I encourage you take advantage of this. You have the brochure on your, on, your, on your seat right now. You can follow the directions there on how to get it on your device, but it's a beautiful system, a beautiful system. I, I encourage you to take advantage of it. Uh, second, Be Broken Ministries. Brian, if you would come up here, man. Um, I wanted to give you a chance to hear from Brian. Brian is with Be Broken Ministries. Um, do this. Give us a little bit of what you do, your purpose, and what you can offer um, our church. Okay, thank you very much, Justin, for giving me this opportunity. As he said, my name is Brian Waltman. I work on staff with Be Broken Ministries, and you should have a brochure there on your chair that gives you an overview of our ministry and uh, some of the different services that we provide. And as Justin has said, we live in a sex-saturated culture uh, where pornography and infidelity are are really rampant. And um, like he said, that's not just outside of the church. That's among Christians as well. Be Broken's mission is healing sexual brokenness by God's grace one story at a time. And so we um, do our best to to try to promote purity uh, among men in particular, but we also provide support for wives and for couples who've been affected by um, sexual sins of various kinds. So how we do this is, um, you can see some of these mentioned in in the brochure. Uh, We have a variety of media resources. First one is just our website, bebroken.com. And on that we have articles, videos, books, a whole, again, variety of resources that are available there. One in particular that I'd like to point out is we have a free 40-day e-course, it's called. It's a 40-day devotional on the topic of purity. It's for both men and women. If you go to ecourse.bebroken.com or just go to bebroken.com and then find the, uh, the link for that, uh, you can sign up and it'll have a, a daily devotional that'll, that'll come to your inbox every day. Uh, we also have a weekly radio program, which you may have heard. It's played locally here. It's called Pure Sex Radio. Uh, I think it comes on Sunday nights at 7, but you can also go to the website. You can stream it. You can uh, subscribe to it, to the, uh, to the podcast on your device. Um, and it's really a well-done uh, radio program that our founder, Jonathan Darty, uh, puts together. Another resource that's uh, available in the back of the room is the book uh, Secrets, which, again, was written by Jonathan Darty, and uh, it's on sale for for $10 if you'd like to pick up a copy, and it's basically his um, autobiography of how he um, found himself uh, in the midst of sexual addiction and how God... um, and how he just about you know lost his marriage and and his life because of that. But God worked uh, in his life and in his wife's life, uh, Elaine, and uh, brought them back together, brought healing. And this ministry, Be Broken Ministries, was really birthed out of that that brokenness and the healing and the restoration that God uh, brought. And so uh, the book is really well written. It's very uh, engaging and. Um, if you'd like to pick up a copy, you're welcome to do that. Another uh, or some other uh, 
practical ways that um, that we try to to help people, or some programs that we offer. Um, as Justin said, if there is uh, something that you are struggling with, tell somebody, uh, bring it into the light. And so some resources that we offer to assist with that, one is our Gateway to Freedom workshop, which is a three-day intensive for men um, who are struggling with pornography or other types of sexual sins. Um, and those are held throughout the year um, uh, here in the San Antonio area, and we also have them in different parts of the, the country. There's also a weekend retreat uh, for wives called Journey to Joy. We don't actually uh, sponsor that, but one of our uh, partner ministries, Shadow of His Wings, uh, holds that event as well. We also have what we call recovery mentoring, which is one-on-one -on -one help for men who are struggling with purity. Uh, we both try to connect uh, mentees with mentors, uh, and we're also in the process of training mentors. And so if you are doing well in this area of sexual purity and you would like to be equipped to help another man, uh, we would love to train you to be able to do that. Uh, we also have wives coaching available. Um, and we have, <clears throat> excuse me, a, uh, a network of support groups for men and women uh, that's found on our website. Uh, along with a network of uh, counselors who are available. So um, I'm going to be in the back of the room after service. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, if you have any questions, tell you more about uh, what we do. And uh, just thank you for, for this opportunity. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, give him a hand. <clears throat> so we don't fight alone. And... We said God illuminates through his word, his spirit, and his people. Well, Be Broken does all three. And so um, please check them out. Um, go see him. He will be in the back. And Church, would you stand with me? And would you close your eyes and, and bow your heads? If you're here today and God's been revealing something to you, and this morning was for you. There is grace in Christ. Jesus has paid your debt. There's healing and restoration and hope in him. Let me pray for us. God, we, uh, we come to you and we're not afraid to confess We're not afraid to come to you and admit that we're broken. We know that you are bigger than our brokenness. You are bigger than our sin. You are bigger than whatever we find ourselves in this morning or what we've been battling for years. You're bigger. And so, God, we come to you, as your word says, in boldness and confidence, not because of us, but because of your son. I pray for healing and restoration in this room. I pray that you help us realize that we are not okay walking the way we're walking, but that you have life and life abundantly for us. 
And I pray that you give us the courage and the boldness to take the steps that we know we need to take in order to get to a place of, of healing and of freedom in your son. And God, as we do that, we give you the glory for it because we know that only you can fix broken things. Only you can pick up those who have fallen. Only you. And so we give you the glory for it and we thank you that we serve a God who loves us, who paid our price. We serve a God who sent his spirit, who sent your spirit into our life to give us the power that we need to walk out what you have called us to walk out. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.